turn in your New Testaments to 2 Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. And this is the very Word of God. So flee. So flee youthful passions. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I want to start this morning by telling you a story. It's the story of a young man who was raised in a a rural area, and this uh, young man had some incredibly difficult issues that he went through with his family and lots of pain, but he kind of dreamed of greatness. He, uh, he never gave up. It's amazing what this young man went through. And uh, by the time he was in his, his early 20s, um, he was in a place where things were starting to come around. For him, and he found himself working for a very powerful and influential man, and finally was kind of that that man's right hand person, you know, that man's chief officer, uh, his chief counsel, so to speak. And he was begin beginning to hit his stride, and you know, he's in his early twenties. But it was at this time that that this young man faced a test. And the response to this test would become very important in his life and become a pattern in his life. The test came in the form of a woman. She was in his workplace. She was older than him, and she decided that she would have him, that she would go to bed with him. And uh, one day at work, she seduced him. And they were all alone, and she was very beautiful. She was a very powerful woman in the, in the workplace. And, did I mention, she was the boss's wife. And so it all came down to a decision in his mind and heart, a really intense moment of decision. What would this young man do? Do you know what this young man did? He ran from that woman literally so quickly that he left his coat in her grasping hands. Some of you recognize this story. This is the story from Genesis 39 of a young man named Joseph who after a whole lot of issues in his family, to put it mildly, ended up being the chief counsel and chief officer to one of the most influential people in the Egyptian empire. His name was Potiphar. And um, not everybody's story goes like this. Not everybody makes the right decision at that moment. Uh, so often we, we, we don't turn from things that are absolutely radioactive to our souls. So often we don't, we don't run from things that we should run from. The text says, flee youthful passions. Run, run. Now, I am not a runner. You can probably discern this. 
I mean, I'm talking about in that long distance kind of excruciating pain on purpose kind of running. Although I can run two miles. But it turns out in this passage, <laughs> 26, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> it turns out in this passage that we're all runners. And we're either running from the things that are radioactive to our souls or we're running from God. We're either running from the things that ensnare us or we're running to the things that bring health and healing in our lives. So I'd like to look at this text just through in this simple way, in simple terms of running. We're running from in the text and we're running to. We're running from, verse 22, so flee youthful passions. Now this could be where we can make this sermon about the lure of sensuality and the need to flee from sexual sin. And the idea, of course, would be that uh, we don't need to just sit there and analyze it, think about it, or even resist it. We need to flee. We need to run from it. And we could talk about how sexualized our culture is and how there are sharp rocks and incredible wreckage everywhere in this ocean of fallenness in which we find ourselves living and sailing in our lives. But I tell you the story of Joseph this morning not because of the aspect of that particular sin that he was tempted with. No, I tell you the story because it's the best story I know of a person literally running away from sin. Youthful passion here in our text is not so much about sexual sin. Um, if you want to hear a sermon on that, by the way, go on our website. I preached a sermon on that some months ago in this very pulpit. It's called The Gospel and Sexual Integrity. And you can go on our website and you can go back to sermons. You can listen to The Gospel and Sexual Integrity. Um, now, while sexual sin is certainly included in what we would call youthful passions, you know, money, sex, power, these are the big three that, that people uh, tend to, to, to really have a, a sense of passion about, the things that, that grip our hearts. It's really not what the text is focusing on here. But I don't want you to think that because this isn't what it is, that what it is is less important. That just tends to be something that, that is highlighted a whole lot in our culture. So what are these youthful passions that we are to run from, that we are to flee here in 2 Timothy 2? 22 and why are they called youthful passions now this is not a diss on young people i want you to know that they're, they're called youthful passions because they kind of assume uh, a lack of a development of self-control they kind of uh, assume kind of a, a quickness to uh, kind of a, a passion to just flip the switch i mean look young people certainly have to develop maturity you know, I'm talking about like from a child and all the way up through the stages of life. And a part of what, you know, what's supposed to happen is uh, we are kind of growing in maturity. But on the, on the positive side, youth are passionate. That's one of the reasons why the great revivals 
of the gospel in Christian history have included and kind of been carried by the young. Because they are passionate, because they are quick, and even on good things they are quick to grab a hold of, quick to let things into their hearts, and to really go with it. So, Kent Hughes puts it this way. He says, if we look at the verses that are before our text, 2.22, and after it seems to best understand these, these youthful passions as the temptation to be quick, to quarrel, to be unkind, to be angry, or to be harsh. And so it's the idea of not just flipping the switch and being punitive, flipping the switch and having to argue, flipping the switch and always having to be right, flipping the switch and being angry, flipping the switch and being punitive. That's what Paul is is saying we need to run from in our lives here. We read in verse 23, right after our text, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant is not to be quarrelsome. He's not to be quick on the trigger, quick to quarrel, quick to be angry, quick to, to be harsh. And so you might say, Wow, you know, compared to sexual sin or compared to like greed that r- runs your whole life or, or, or something like that or power or like insecurity and the desperate need to be liked and accepted and all these things. I mean, what's so bad? What's so bad about being angry? Everybody gets angry, right? Everybody gets angry. Yeah, but you, we don't have to make our address there. It's, it's bad when we flip the switch and live there. And, and, it's, and it's not just bad for us. We're going to, he's saying to Timothy, these things are going to hurt you. You've got you, you to gotta grow with the Lord into some maturity here. These things are going to hurt your relationships. They will hurt your leadership, Timothy, young pastor being mentored by Paul. They're going to hurt your testimony to the patient, loving grace and forgiving grace of God that you say you believe, but you're so angry and punitive. If you and I don't run from anger, selfish pride, and harshness, we will become a different person than we could have been. And it's because these things are not so pronounced like sexual sin that we just kind of let them ride sometimes. It's because we feel justified because we've been hurt. Or because things aren't the way we wanted them to be, and people have not been what we have wanted them to be, and so we kind of become, we live in this address of low-grade rage, and things just start popping out of our lives when we live in an address of low-grade rage, popping out all over the place, and they're not good, and they're toxic for our relationships. Paul is saying to Timothy, you can't lead if you're sitting there in your anger, if you're sitting there in your pride, if you're sitting there in your sophomoric need to punish people. You've got to get up, Timothy. It's time to be a pastor. You've got to get up, and don't just get up. Run! Run from it. You know, as I've gotten older, I've noticed there are times when I can be short. <laughs> 
with people. And I have to ask whether I want to be a short with people kind of person going forward. And it's not fair to the people I love and the people I know for me not to run from that. I don't know what it is that you struggle with. I don't know what, where, where you kind of make your address and things are popping out and it's not healthy for you and it's not healthy for your relationships. But um, God wants us to flee. He wants us to flee. He doesn't say, Timothy, I want you to stop. I want you to really think about this. I want you to analyze this. I want you to try to manage this. I want you to run. Run from this harshness, this anger, this, this youth, these youthful passions that hurt us and our relationships and the ministry God's given us and pretty much everything else in our lives. But it's not just run from in the passage. It is run to. Run to what? Verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Hotly pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, I grew up quail hunting. We always had bird dogs. We had setters and pointers. And if you know anything about quail hunting, particularly pointers, they are nervous. They are incredibly strong, nervous, and fast creatures. And you get them in that box on the back of the truck, and they know, they just know where you're going. They just know you're going to, to hunt. This is what they're made for. You get finally to where you're going. You get out of the car. They can barely, you can just, you can just feel the energy in that box. Man, you open the little steel cage door on that box, and you better get out of the way. Because those dogs are out of that box and they are hitting the ground and they are running with their nose in the air. What are they doing? They are leaving that box behind and they are hotly pursuing quail. And when I say hotly pursuing, I mean hotly pursuing. And they're not stopping and they're not stopping and they're not stopping until they find those birds. This is a relentless pursuit. That's kind of the, the feeling here. We've got to run from this and there's something we need to pursue relentlessly. There's something that is health. There's something that is strength. There's something that is good for our relationships, good for the ministry. And we can't stop, y'all, till we've got it. We've got to have it. Running to righteousness, faith, love, and peace. We are not to be sitting and steeping in our sin. We are to be in hot pursuit of God and the grace of God that he has given to us. is how we know God and these virtues that come out of the grace of God that are so beautiful and wonderful. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, maybe you're saying, you know, I'm just not one of those people that hotly pursues God. Well, I want you i got news for you everybody here is hotly pursuing something don't tell me don't tell me that you're one of these people that just doesn't have the ability to get excited about things you're 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 deceiving yourself we deceive ourselves everybody's hotly pursuing something i mean in fact we call these things our pursuits (laughs) don't we our pursuits what are your pursuits i'm not saying they're wrong by the way i'm just saying we hotly pursue We're made to hotly pursue. What is it that we really go after in our lives? It's not hard to answer that question. And so often we're pursuing what we want while sitting in our sinful attitudes at the expense of those that we say we love. And here's what Paul says we need to hotly pursue. Polar opposites. 
of this, this kind of selfishness and this kind of, this kind of harshness. Righteousness. Righteousness, integrity, truthfulness, fairness, justice. Not just because it's good for me, but because it's right. I'm going to pursue what's right because it's right. For the good of other people. It's what we call living by principle. It's not living in the moment. It's not situation ethics, meaning whatever the situation is, I might pursue something different. It's pursuing what's right. Pursuing righteousness. Faith. What's faith? It's dynamic confidence in God. This is just the opposite of focusing so much of my life that I'm terrified that it's not going to work out the way I want it to, and I am going to react when it's not going the way I want it to because I control it, you, and the universe. I want you to know. And we don't. And so much better is a dynamic faith in God. Have you ever been going through something really, really hard, and finally God gets you to this point where you say, God, what are you going to do with this? I can't do this. Isn't that a great moment? Like if you've got a relationship with God through Christ, isn't that a great moment when you can just have this kind of dynamic faith come back online in our lives, not trusting in our own abilities, our own cleverness? Love. It means other-centered giving. Acting in the best interest of those around us. Not you serve me, but I serve you. Uh, Pursue love. Peace. Just the opposite of all this anger and punitive, right? Seeking harmony and unity with others. Wanting to be a a peacemaker. Wanting to live at peace as much as possible with all men. I know sometimes it's not possible. Um, I mean, what's wrong with this term, a proud, arrogant Christian? Hey, if, if you're a Christian, it's just because God did everything for you. Like Christian and humble should go together because you didn't do it. You don't deserve it. And yet you're a child of the king. And so an, a proud, arrogant Christian is kind of an oxymoron. Proud, arrogant Christians lead to this quarreling. Always having to be right. You don't, you don't have to be right all the time. You're not right all the time. But we can seek peace. We can seek within our conscience Uh, to be clear and to work with people pursuing peace the great scottish theologian patrick fairbairn kind of summed it up this way he said in short maintain a character that demonstrates the gospel of christ adorned with the virtues that this gospel brings meaning this isn't just a better life it's a beautiful life this isn't just a a a better life this is a, a life that connects with other people This is a life that bears Jesus to other people, that points to love himself. This is what brings us closer to other people as opposed to pushing them away. Um, What kind of a person we are matters, and, and it is out of a relationship with Christ that we can pursue these things. Look, you start trying to pursue what's right, and you start trying to love, and you start trying to make peace without Christ, and it's just going to turn into another game, another shell game of how you're, how you're just trying to, to, to make everything work for yourself. But with Christ, who has loved us. You see, Christ says uh, through Paul, pursue righteousness because I've given you my righteousness. You are righteous in my sight and, and you can walk in my ways because I've declared you righteous. 
pursue a life of faith because I saved you by faith and you can trust me. You know because I put, you put your faith in me and your sins were forgiven. You know that you can trust me right now in your life. Doesn't matter how big and bad and ugly the thing it is that you're dealing with. You can trust me. That's, that's pursuing faith. Uh, or pursuing love because you're loved. Because in spite of you, in spite of me, we were loved and we were completely loved. And now we know what love is. And that's the whole point, isn't it? That we've got to get through some stuff to love people. Because that's the point. Because it's, uh, it's sacrificial. There's always stuff to get through if you really love people. If you never have to get through stuff, it's not love. You know, that's just automatic. You know, uh, as Jesus said, he said, you know, uh, if you only love those who love you, what's the point? The Gentiles do that. But why don't you love your enemies? You know? Um, that it is in being loved that we loved and in, in being declared righteous that we can pursue righteousness. This life of faith because we've been given faith. Pursue peace because God has given us peace in our hearts. And God does work this out in our lives. And, and when we do act on the, the gospel at work in our lives, it matters and it is more powerful than you realize. I want to tell you a story um, from a book I'm reading right now, I mean this week, called The Heart-Led Leader by Tommy Spaulding. It's a story of a man named Grover, they called him Grove, Grove Norwood. I don't know if any of y'all have heard about Grove Norwood. Uh, I had not. Well, um, Grove Norwood was, was driving home from church one day. And he, was, he, he drove by a little church um, that, that there was a group of people huddled, older people, huddled in the grass parking lot of this little church. And, you know, a lot of people would have driven by, but, you know, it's in a tiny little south Texas town, south of Houston. So Grove Norwood uh, pulls his German um, luxury car into the parking lot of this small African-American church. And he, he goes out and he's wondering what's going on. And uh, there's a, a lady who's having a heat stroke. And so they're all trying to figure out what to do with her. She's having a heat stroke. And so um, it was over 100 degrees in Houston, Texas. We, we, we got that. We understand that right here in, in uh, where we live in Mississippi. And what was worse is that it was probably even hotter in the sanctuary because the air conditioner didn't work. And do you know why the air conditioner didn't work? Because somebody had stolen it, ripped it out of the wall the night before. So they kind of revived the lady and got her some water. And Grove Nor Norwood decided he was going to act. So he, he got in his, his big car and he drove to uh, Home Depot or someplace like that. And he spent $350 for an air conditioner. little stand-up, this tiny little church. little stand-up air conditioner sits in the wall. Bought, bought an air conditioner, bought a chain, bought a lock, went back to the church, and, uh, and he was met in the parking lot by one of the deacons of the church whose name was Ulysses Parker. And Ulysses Parker helped him repair the wall, put in the new air conditioning unit, and, um, and everything was cool, no pun intended. So Grove Norwood and Ulysses Parker struck up a relationship uh, kind of, you know, helping their Ulysses church together. And um, they lived in the same area. This little town is called Simonton, Texas, just south of Houston. But they were from totally different worlds. 
Uh, Ulysses Parker was kind of from the backwoods down by a river called the Brazos River. Uh, He had grown up uh, in picking cotton most of his young life. Uh, Ulysses did not have uh, an education really to speak of. Uh, Ulysses Parker spoke with a speech impediment that made him difficult to understand but he was known in that community and particularly in that church as a hard-working, I'm reading this, hard-working, gentle spirit who had weathered the storms of a harsh life. His best friend simply described in this way, Ulysses Paca is a praying man, and he was an officer in that church. Ulysses Parker was barely eking out a living being a vegetable gardener when he met Grove Norwood. Now, Grove Norwood was a former Air Force pilot, and he was a successful brokerage manager with a national insurance company when he met Ulysses Parker. So Grove Norwood and Ulysses got on with their relationship, and it was really beautiful, and they knew each other's families. Uh, uh, Grove Norwood began to help Ulysses and his church in different ways. Uh, Ulysses' roof caved in, and Grove Norwood paid to have it fixed. The organ broke at Ulysses Church, Grove Norwood, bought another organ. You can just kind of see how this goes. And as I read, as far as anyone knows, he was the first white person to attend a service there. But in the year 2000, tragedy struck and just sent shockwaves through the life of Grove Norwood, his wife, his family, and the entire community of Simonton, Texas. Uh, Grove Norwood's kids were returning from a t-ball practice um, at dusk, uh, April 10th, 2000, when his four-year-old daughter, Joy, said she needed to go to the bathroom very badly. The mother said, you can wait. She kept screaming. The mother said, you can wait. She said, no, Mommy, you don't understand. And she pled. And um, you can tell there are Southerners. They're about to go to the bathroom outside. But... um, after she kept insisting, uh, it's on a two-lane road, it's deserted, so she pulled over on the side of the road, and she's going to help her little daughter, but she had to pull over on the, on the other side of the road because the shoulder was only wide enough on the, on the opposite side of the road, and, and she was getting out to uh, let her daughter out, and her little daughter uh, popped out of the passenger side just as a car came through and struck and killed their daughter, Joy. And the person that hit uh, their daughter when she jumped out of the car on that side uh, did not stop and just kept on going. And she died right there uh, at the scene of the accident. Everyone was devastated. And Grove Norwood and his family were just consumed with grief and the little, you know, the little town, you know, like we got each other's back, kind of little town. They were demanding that the police find this person uh, who who hit and ran, you know, struck the and killed the the daughter. And and the police had found a, a broken piece of plastic that became the key to discovering who it was that killed their daughter. And so they uh, they launched an investigation, and a few days later the the police found the vehicle and its owner. His name was Ulysses Parker. On the night of the accident, Ulysses Parker 
who was 68 years old and wore really thick glasses because he could barely see and should never have been driving hit that girl and never even knew it. When the police questioned him, he said he had no idea what had happened. He was utterly devastated to learn that he was responsible for the death of his close friend's daughter. You just can't make this stuff up. So what's Grove Norwood going to do? That's a youthful passion right there called anger. That's called bitterness. That's called deep resentment. That's called punitive. When Grove Norwood learned that Ulysses had accidentally killed his daughter, Grove drove to Ulysses' home to console him. The two men prayed together, and Grove Norwood announced he and his wife's forgiveness for Ulysses. He then invited Ulysses and his wife Carrie to attend Joy's funeral. They did not have any clothes to attend the funeral, and so Grove and his wife Jill bought suitable clothes to wear that day. And, uh, and they all sat together side by side as they said goodbye to this little daughter, Joy, and they buried her. And the people in Simonton and around Simonton, Texas, could not believe what they were seeing. And what Grove and Jill had done. And there at the funeral stood Grove Norwood burying his daughter, standing with the man who caused her death. Six months later, Grove Norwood was standing before a grand jury in Austin pleading with them to not charge Ulysses Parker with criminal motor vehicle offense. The judge and jury took Grove's words to heart and Ulysses remained a free man until he died seven years later of natural causes. This act of forgiveness changed the fabric of that little town. By the way, you can see all this on a documentary. It's called The Heart of Texas. If you want to watch that, you can. There's a whole lot more to the story that I ain't got time to tell you. Now that man and his wife could have sat and steeped in their anger, and nobody would have had a problem with that. In fact, they would have gotten a few good old darn rights. Darn right. Darn right. I'd be that angry and more. Darn right I would never forgive that person. Darn right this and darn right that. But they didn't. And I, I tell you, the story would have been different had they just sunk and sat and steeped in bitterness and become something other than the people they were becoming by being followers of Jesus and pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. What we are willing to just sit and stew in will become a part of who we are. You can write that down. And the gospel is calling us to shuck it off, to be, be rid of it, to run from it, not only just to shuck off the ugliness of it, but the heaviness that it brings to our lives to get the weight off of us. And not only the ugliness and the heaviness, but also the harm it inflicts on the people around us who suffer at the hands of our harshness or our withdrawal or what, however it is that we act out 
on what we are so disappointed with, so angry with, and will, quote, never get over. And not only is it the ugliness of it and the heaviness of it and the harm that it inflicts, but it's also the harm that it inflicts when other people and sometimes our own children catch this disease of permission to be angry as a way of life. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what you what you hurt by. I don't know what you're so disappointed by, but you are. Human beings are hurt. We live in a fallen world. Human beings are disappointed. Human beings have things that just go bump in the night in our hearts. I, I don't know what they are, but I know they're either going to. They, I know that you're either going to to hold radioactive things to your your life for a long time, or you're going to say. This is radioactive. And because of the gospel, because of the fact that I've got God's righteousness, I've got faith, I've got love, I've got peace, I can put this away. And I don't have to live in a toxic radioactive little cell of my own making anymore. Verse 222, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith love and peace so what are you going to do what are you going to do when you you've just done something sinful something you never thought you would do what are you going to do you're going to shift the blame you're going to are you going to have guilt paralysis are you going to confess it under the grace of god are you going to run from it because it's the righteousness of god that we have that's greater than our unrighteousness, that provides something called repentance to us, it's, it's there. What are you going to do when, when things aren't happening the way you want? You, you've got to run from self-pity. You've got to run from this low-grade anger. You've got to run from bitterness. You've got to run from envy to faith in Christ and where He wants to lead you based on the fact that He has done it all for you. What are you going to do when you feel unloved? You must run from withdrawing. You must run from punishing people in subtle ways, in clever, tricky ways, as a lifestyle. You must run to love in Jesus or you will kill your soul. You know, they say uh, that non-forgiveness is, is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. You're the one that dies from unforgiveness, not the other person. What are you going to do when you're going through a season of several things happening all at one time? You have to run from despair. You have to run from fear. You have to run from disappointment. Run to peace in Christ. So run from, run to, really quickly, finally, it's, it's who you do it with, who you run with. Who are, who are you running with? How, how are you facing 
this fallen world. Verse 22 of, of t- 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue, hotly pursue, righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. Look, listen to this. Along with those who call on the Lord. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Someone has said that the Christian life isn't hard at all. It's impossible. That's why we need God. That's why we need each other. God God didn't just put us here as a lone ranger. God didn't just say, here, I hope you can make it on your own. God put us in a family called the church. This is why this, the relationship with his people as well as with him is so important. You can't live this out alone. You need the brothers and sisters in Christ. And it turns out that we're all runners anyway. We're all runners. We're either running from youthful passions or we're running from God. So along with those who call on the Lord, wouldn't it be great to have people who call on the Lord to call on the Lord for you? Out of a pure heart. Those who call on the Lord, that they are, they are growing. You know, they're, they're, they're growing. They are there to help me and you to not sit in our sin. But to run to Christ and become something better. That because of Christ, as we run to him, with the help of our brothers and sisters, we become something better. Our family becomes something better. Our church becomes something better. It's the power of Christ. It's the resurrection power of Christ. It's the redemptive nature of what God wants to do in a fallen world among fallen people who need him. It makes our work better. It makes our world better too. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace along with those who call on the lord out of a pure heart let's pray and then we're going to go to the lord together lord we pray that you would we pray that you'd open our hearts early before this sermon before your word had a chance to work in our hearts but god now that you've opened our hearts Would you cause us to allow you to do some wonderful work in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.